This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, June 30th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. The Supreme Court this week settled the playground dispute known as Trinity Lutheran, a case about religious discrimination or the separation of church and state. School choice advocates hailed the decision, but it's not clear that it will be a silver bullet for school choice. Cato's Neil McCluskey and Ilya Shapiro comment. Ilya, if you wouldn't mind, just detail for us uh, what this case facially was about. Trinity Lutheran involved a Missouri scrap tire um, recycling program that uh, lots of different institutions could apply for a state grant uh, to subsidize or reimburse the playground resurfacing uh, to make it safer for the kiddies. Uh, you know, when I was younger, we didn't have these fancy rubberized surfaces. And if you fell down and broke your arm, you learned from it. And it was a good experience. But, you know, the millennial snowflakes need something better. So they had this program. And Trinity Lutheran Church, uh, which is a church, as its name indicates, applied and uh, was one of the grantees uh, qualified based on uh, neutral secular criteria of whatever Missouri put in place uh, until uh, a Missouri bureaucrat realized that it was a church and then called them and disqualified them for being a church. Uh, and so the question that uh, ultimately made it up to the U.S. Supreme Court uh, is um, can Missouri prohibit a church just for being a church because Missouri's constitution doesn't allow direct aid to houses of worship? And uh, the Supreme Court ultimately ruled seven to two that no, the only reason this church is not being uh, – has been disqualified is because of a religious exercise and it's a, it's a playground that we're funding, not religious instruction or scholarships for uh, – uh, preachers or anything like this, uh, and it's a fairly easy case. And uh, as I said, seven to two. So Breyer and Kagan joined and talked about how this is no different than providing police or fire services uh, to uh, to houses of worship. So uh, related to this, then it it would be completely within a state's purview to design a program that was specifically for schools or other nonprofits and exclude church churches by a matter of statute, right? Sure. I mean, if, if there's a state program to fund football teams and, and you disqualify churches that don't have football teams, well, that that's perfectly fine. Uh, the state can design their programs in various ways. But if the um, you know, neutral uh, criteria uh, 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 apply to uh, uh, allow a, a religious institution to qualify, you can't disqualify them simply for being religious. All right. So, Neil, uh, a lot of school choice advocates have been trying to uh, make hay out of this and say that this is a this is a very big deal. But uh, for fans of tax credit scholarships, for fans of uh, school vouchers, how big a deal is this? Yeah, I don't think it's as big a deal as some people are saying. So anytime you take a bite out of a Blaine Amendment, that's a good thing, right? So these Blaine Amendments are interpreted uh, at state levels as saying no sort of in any way can state money go to a religious institution. And this does say, look, uh, if it is not for a religious purpose and you are just a religious entity that's competing with everybody else for non-religious reasons uh, that you can get that money, that's great. Uh, one of the problems, though, for voucher programs are people are often choosing a religious school for the religious content. And I don't think that this ruling says the state cannot disallow the use of that voucher if it is for religious content. And I think in particular because they upheld Locke v. Davey in, in, you know, from 2004 that said somebody who was going to college to basically learn to become a pastor, they couldn't get a scholarship, that a state scholarship that anyone else could 
Um, to me, that's still discriminating against religion, saying, well, you can get money to train for any vocation other than to become a pastor. But as long as they keep that as precedent, you could say, look, I'm sending my child to an evangelical school. Part of an evangelical school is to evangelize. And you could, without, I think, running afoul of this ruling, you could say as a state, well, okay, but you can't take our money, state money, a voucher to a school like that because what you're really doing is you want to learn how to evangelize, to spread your religion. And, you know, we can't do that. So, well, it, it might be different in a, in a higher education context, but for K-12, to uh, I think still under the good law of Zelman uh, uh, Harris uh, from now 15 years ago, 2002, that was the, the, the case that uh, allowed voucher programs uh, uh, against uh, Establishment Clause Challenge. I think given the inter, uh, intermediary parental choice of how to spend the money in the state is just making the pot of money available. Uh, I think that still continues to be available. But um, the reason why tax credit programs are now preferred in the school choice movement over vouchers is because there you have even more steps between the state funding and the ultimate uh, uh, provision of the money to a religious uh, uh, entity, the decision to provide scholarships, the de decision to give the scholarship, the decision by the parent to use the scholarship in a certain place, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, I don't think any of that is disturbed or advanced uh, one way or another. I think I think the law regarding school choice programs is where it was because Trinity Lutheran was really just such an egregious outlier. Again, it's it's much closer to uh, you know can a state deny uh, general government programs like police and and fire uh, rather than is the state uh, funding. Um, uh, you know, Bibles as part of a, a free books program or something. Yeah, and and just for clarification, now I, I am not a lawyer, and I don't uh, want to play one on the Cato Daily podcast. But just to be clear, I think uh, Zelman v. Simmons Harris said it's not a violation of the federal constitution if a parent chooses to take money that they could take to any kind of school if they choose it to take to a religious school. But I don't know that that's been applied at the state level in, in many cases for a state amendment. As I understand it, those state amendments at the state level and in state courts are often interpreted sort of more strictly as separating church and state. And so clearly, I think the principle is right. You should be able to take that voucher to any school you want. But I don't know whether that's been applied directly to the states. And I'm pretty sure Trinity Lutheran doesn't apply it directly to the states. Yeah, I was about to say the, the argument right now over scholarship tax credits is about whether or not the money in question is public money, which seems to have been resolved at least at the Supreme Court. Right. Uh, for, for federal purposes, the, uh, um, the Arizona Christian School uh, uh, tuition organization, Axto versus Wynn case, uh, decided a few years ago um, uh, on, on, the, on the principle that um, that it's not state money. When, when you get a tax credit for giving to a scholarship program, that is not state money that, that is then being used when you give that scholarship to a, to a parent that uses it at a, uh, a parochial school. Uh, and so it was, it was – um, uh, the, the issue is that uh, you don't view the, the, everyone's income as inherently the state's, that when you get to keep your income, that, that you know, that's the state is allowing you to keep your own income and use it for religious purposes or – or what have you. So that's why tax credit programs are, I think, uh, immunized to a greater degree against um, uh, constitutional challenge than, than voucher ones maybe. Yeah, and, and when, <laughs> I wasn't going to get into this because I didn't know how closely connected it was, but in Georgia, 
Uh, was it the morning before? Or it, the day it, was before? About, it was less than an hour before uh, Trinity Lutheran came down. Yeah, there the state supreme court said that their tax credit program was constitutional under Unanimously. the Georgia. Yeah, under the Georgia Constitution, because it's not government money. If it's a tax credit, it's your choice how you use your money. All right. So back to Trinity Lutheran here. Um, there is this footnote three. This was a, a seven to two decision, but two justices did did not. Uh, join on footnote three, which appeared to be just sort of a throwaway line to try to limit the scope of the opinion. Is that right, Ilya? It's it's a complicated issue, and and it's kind of head scratching when it came down. I was wa- watching the feed on on the SCOTUS blog live blog, and it said Chief Justice Roberts announces the opinion of the court, except with respect to footnote three. And everyone is furiously turning to what what, what does this actually say? And and technically, only four justices joined that footnote three. Uh, so it's not the opinion of the court, although Justice Breyer's separate concurrence could be read as uh, as as joining it, even though he he didn't explicitly do so. What footnote three says, it, it's not clear. Actually, it, it seems like it's written in a clear way that um, you know, we only decide uh, questions of discrimination based on religious liberty in the context of. Uh, 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 public playground uh, subsidies or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. So uh, Justice Gorsuch in his concurrence, and he doesn't join, he and, and Justice Thomas uh, uh, don't join uh, footnote three. Uh, they say, well, this could be read as saying, well, this rule that we've announced only applies to playground resurfacing subsidies. That can't be right. That's not a rule of law. That's kind of arbitrary. Um, so I'm not sure if that's what Chief Justice Roberts meant uh, and if he meant to try to come make a distinction between discrimination based on religious status versus religious use. Well, then Gorsuch went through another kind of uh, uh, other scenarios about how that might be artificial. At the end of the day, for practical purposes, I don't think footnote three – uh, is going to do that much work because as it stands, if you're a lower court that's sympathetic to the ruling in Trinity Lutheran, you won't see footnote three as being limited to playgrounds or status or, or, or what have you. You're going to read it uh, more broadly about government programs, uh, you know, neutral, secular government programs. Uh, and if you are skeptical of Trinity Lutheran, if you sort of more agree with Justice Sotomayor's dissent about how this uh, irreparably breaches the wall between church and state, well, then you're going to try to read the holding more narrowly, not Perhaps just to playgrounds because that's not a that's not a real rule of law to apply. But perhaps uh, narrowly uh, 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 construed only to apply to this very blatant uh, discrimination against uh, religious uh, uh, institutions and not kind of these more gray area ones as we get into the uh, school choice or, or Blaine amendments and things like that. So more broadly here, uh, you mentioned Neil Gorsuch, the newest member of the court, who, uh, as is often said, every new justice makes a new court. Does this is part of the excitement then of the school choice advocates uh, for for both of you? Is part of that excitement just the fact that you have someone here who is going to take uh, religious exercise seriously? Yeah, well, I think that that's part of it. Certainly, uh, Blaine amendments have been in the crosshairs of school choice people for a very long time. So any ruling that starts to sort of dismantle Blaine amendments, even if just a little bit, is going to get a lot of support. And I do think that you could look at the um, concurring opinions of Gorsuch and Thomas and you could say, well, at least, you know, it looked like there are two people here who want to go further. 
and say that um, any sort of government program that uh, appears to discriminate against religious people may be problematic. I don't know whether you could read that much into it, but I think that that's the sort of thing that's making a lot of school choice people uh, optimistic now. And because you've seen, uh, you saw the court send back the the voucher case from Douglas County, Colorado, and told the state supreme court you need to re-examine this. And and I just remember it's not actually a school choice case per se, but the other case I think that they sent back was in New Mexico, and it was about whether or not you could a state could provide uh, support for textbooks, I think teachers, to private schools. I haven't looked at that as much. But it's not exactly a school choice, but that's another way to say, well, let's treat maybe private schools equally. And they, they may like that too, but it's really going after blind amendments and whether or not that ultimately is going to help voucher programs that I think is the real the real prize they're looking at. Neil McCluskey directs the Cato Institute's Center for Educational Freedom. Ilya Shapiro edits the Cato Institute's Supreme Court Review. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.